last week began a, a series on great lives from, from the Bible. And, uh, and these lives obviously are not perfect lives, but they're lives that can show us something, lives that can teach us something. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those great lives, the same one we looked at last week, Abraham, and some of the blessings and benefits that he received by being in relationship with God. Now, if you think about relationships in your life, whether that be the relationship with a parent or with a child or with a spouse or with a friend or, or whomever, there, there are, or at least there should be, in those close relationships, certain blessings and benefits that result. You know that as a, as a spouse, that there are certain benefits to the relationship, certain blessings to the relationship, that, that when, when you are married, you cannot experience those types of blessings outside of marriage. Now, certainly I'm not just talking about physical types of blessings. There are emotional and psychological blessings and benefits that come from being in a healthy marriage that you simply cannot get outside of that healthy marriage. It is impossible. That's the way the Lord has designed marriage, to be a blessing, to be a benefit to you. Uh, there are relationships that you have with parents that you receive blessings and benefits from. Certainly, all of us have been the benefactor, at least in some way, of a parental figure in our lives, whether our biological parents or someone else, that have blessed us. We've benefited from that relationship. As a parent, I know there are blessings and benefits I receive from being the parent to my children. I, I, I just, I, it, they make me smile. <laughs> if nothing else, they, they make me smile. They, their desire to be with me just because I'm daddy really makes a difference in my life. Not because I'm the pastor. I happen to be their pastor as well. You realize we have a weird dynamic in our home. I'm their dad and their pastor. That's strange. They don't look at me, though, as their pastor. And I thank God for that. I really, really do. They see me as a daddy. And man, that does something for me. And, and just their desire to be with me and roll around on the floor and whatever we do together, you know. And you've experienced, I'm sure, those things as well. If you're a parent and you've raised children, you've had those opportunities. You may have friends that, that you receive blessings from because they love you and they care for you. Why? Just because you're you. You don't have to be anything for them. You don't have to say anything. I had the opportunity this past week to, to meet with, with two or three really, really good friends that I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And you know what was interesting? The conversation just picked up right where it left off the last time. You got friends like that? Well, I sure hope you do. Just blessing, benefit from those kinds of relationships. Maybe you've got a, another relationship in your life with another extended family member, maybe a cousin or an aunt or an uncle or somebody like that a grandchild, whatever it may be, and you've just received tremendous blessing. I really think that that's the way that relationships are designed. Relationships are not designed to be a drag on us. They're really not. The Lord said about Adam in the Garden of Eden, what? It is not good for man to be alone. So I'll make it better by giving him someone to be with. Relationship was designed to be good, to bring blessing, to bring benefit. A benefit that we don't quite know how to explain, because it's both tangible and intangible. You can get your arms around it, and then you just sometimes have no words to describe the benefit and blessing. And with my children, with my family, I, I want there to be a great blessing, a great benefit for them, because they were my kids. Am I perfect? By no means. Will I ever be? Not till I get to heaven. But I want them to benefit and, and to be blessed because they had me for a dad. I'm sure if you're a parent, you'd say the same thing. I want there to be something special 
about growing up in our home. Something that's beneficial, something that's a blessing to them. And I realize that if I'm that way toward my children, if you're that way toward your kids and your family, and I am imperfect, and I am fallible, and I am sinful, and then I look at God and I realize He is totally perfect, and He is infallible, and He is without sin, and He calls us His creation, and those who receive His grace by faith, He calls us His children. Imagine how much more He wants those blessings and benefits of that relationship for us. How much more than I even want that for my kids. I can't even explain to you the infinite nature of God's desire for our blessing and our benefit by being in relationship with Him. And that sounds very simple. It almost sounds sort of wooden to say that because, yeah, we're in church and we know God loves us and He wants what's best for us. But I don't think we fully grasp it. I really don't. And I say that to myself included. I don't think we fully grasp the depth and the breadth of the love of God for us and His desire for our blessing and our benefit. Both intangible things, but far and away greater than that, and the intangible things that you or I could never explain. And I really want to focus on that this morning because I believe that Abraham discovered that in his life. I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 18. The very first book of the Bible. If you're not a person who's familiar with the Bible, this one ought to be really easy to find. So just go to the very beginning. And then look at chapter 18. And we're going to look this morning and pick up the story in verse 16. But let me give you a a brief bit of background, just, just very briefly. Last week... We looked at the beginning of Abraham's relationship with God, how at at 75 years old, Abraham was called from his life that he knew, his life of comfort and familiarity, to go to somewhere that he didn't even know the destination where it would be. And God said, I'll show you when we get there. And he was promised that he would be a, a blessing to all the world, his name would be made great, that God would always be with him, and that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham at this point, of course, was a 75-year-old man without any children. Typically, that's not when you begin having kids, but God had other plans for him. And so we see in the chapters between 12 and 18, the, the, the story sort of unfolds. Abraham believes God. He places his faith in God, begins to follow him in obedience, but he has moments of, of, of lapses. He's not perfect. You read the story of Abraham in the Bible, you're going to find some sin. You're going to find some doubt. You're going to find some time where, where he ran from God. You're going to find time where, where he just shows the fact that he's human. But every time you'll also see God continuing to come back to him, to pursue him, to remind him, to demonstrate his love, and so on. And in chapter 18, he, Abraham receives in the first 15 verses some visitors reminding him of the promise. By this time, he's 99 years old. And he's promised once again that you will have a son. And he and his wife, his wife is, is recorded, laughs at these, these visitors. And then, of course, it covers it up. Don't we do that in church? You know, this is a perfect church service. You know, we, we, we hear something about God, and, and then we put on our God face, and we smile. Yes, that's true. And so on. Sarah just laughs and then tries to cover it up. It's amazing. They had the first church service there, I suppose. But anyway, um, she says, can I, in verse 13, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Uh, you know, and, and, and the Lord says, is anything impossible with me? <laughs> and there's a whole sermon right there. The emphatic answer is no. Nothing is impossible with God. These visitors remind him of that. And, and then in verse 16, we pick up the story. Let's, let's read together here. It says, the men got up from there and looked out over Sodom. And here's a story maybe that you're familiar with. 
And Abraham was walking with them to see them all. Then the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. Now, this is not something that God doesn't know what's going on. He's going down physically uh, to, to experience and see and, 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 and witness in, in, in some way uh, as he is there physically present. So this is not beyond God's knowledge. He knows exactly what's going on. The cry of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has either come up, some folks will say, from, from maybe the folks that were there crying out to whatever God they thought was there, or just the sin itself is so egregious uh, that, it, that it is and so obnoxious and so overt that it's just reeking, and, and, and the, 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 the whiff of that comes to heaven, so to speak. So here comes God. The men turned to verse 22 from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? You cannot possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? Boy, what a, what a statement here he makes. Verse 26, the Lord said, If at Sodom I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, Since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then he spoke to him again. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if 30 are there. Then he said, since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, Abraham said, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak one more time. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of ten. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, if you know the rest of the story, there was one righteous man found in Sodom, and it was a guy named Lot, Abraham's nephew. He and his family were spared, and both Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Their sin was, was outrageous. It wasn't just sexual sin. It was lots of different things. But God had said, I'm going to destroy the city, and Abraham begins this conversation with God about what if there are 50, and what if there are 45, and so on. The principle that I want to help us understand today is, is this, this guiding principle that I hope that you'll take down. It's very simple. It's not profound. If you know me well enough at all, you'll know that I'm not real profound. I like simple things. I believe the Scripture is simple and profound all at the same time. The principle today that I want us to operate by is simply this. That trust in and obedience to the Lord lead to a life of blessing. Trust in and obedience to the Lord lead to a life of blessing. Now, as a pastor, I'll be honest with you for just a second. I, you know, I grew up in church. I don't remember a time when I did not regularly attend church. Some of you are not that way. Some of you are. 
I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was eight years old. I was baptized soon thereafter. I have been following Jesus for about as long as I can remember. Why do I say that? I say that not because, look at me, I say that because I can use a lot of cliches that sound really good in church that really nobody understands. I'll just be honest with you. And as a pastor, it's real easy to stand up here with a microphone and say, God has a life of blessing to decide for you, to, you know, that He wants for you. And everybody says, Amen. And we walk away thinking, what in the world does that mean? How does a life of blessing for me? Well, good. What kind of blessing? What are you talking about? And I, I was hit this week by the fact that last week, I said that part of the issue of coming to God in faith and obedience is that you receive His blessing. Some of it is unexplainable. I'll just be honest with you. Some of it you experience, and, and you just say, that's the blessing of God. I can't even put it into words. But I really believe that in this passage of Scripture, Abraham shows us some of what is involved in this life of blessing. That it's based upon his relationship with the Lord, his trust in, his obedience to the Lord, and it brings blessing both in relational and tangible form. And I want to talk this morning about what is included in that blessing from the Lord. And I think in this particular passage, I was a little surprised by it when I came across it. I had no intention really on preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but at the same time, I came across this, and I really believe this, this shows us some of the blessing of God. What's included, what's involved in this, this blessing from the Lord as you relate to Him in trust and obedience? I, I want to focus on two things this morning, the first of which is that, that you get to become, and you, you become at that point, a friend of God. You become a friend of God. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down a couple of, of Scripture references. I'm not going to go there, uh, but I, I want you to reference these. And I want you to begin to study Abraham's relationship with God as his friend. Now, in our world today, I have to be honest with you, there is a, a, a sort of a bipolar uh, look at, at the relationship we got. Some folks will focus only on being friends with God. And God loves us, and God cares for us, and, and God's always forgiving and always loving. And absolutely, that is true. Others will focus on God is just and He is righteous and He will punish sin and you better watch out. That's true too. They don't contradict each other in God's nature. They are both true all the time. God is loving. He is our friend if we've come to Him in faith, receiving His grace by faith alone. And He is just. He will punish sin. We'll see this in the story. Both at the same time, they're not contradictory. We don't have to preach one over the other. We don't have to choose one or the other. We don't have to preach God as a judge only or God as our friend only. We preach both. We believe both because the Bible says both. This morning, however, I want you to know that my focus will be on the blessing that comes from being in this type of relationship with God. I'm not doing that to the, to the neglect of the justice and righteousness of God, because we'll see that in just a minute. So just so you know that. But write down these, these scripture references. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. Abraham is described in this particular verse as the friend of God. He is described as God's friend. James chapter 2, verse 23. Abraham, again, described as God's friend. John chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus describes the disciples as his friends. Now, that language may be a little confusing to you because your view of God may be totally different than a friend. You may have been raised in a home and a church that taught nothing about the friendship of God toward believers. That's not only retribution and judgment and punishment for sin. But the truth of the matter is that though God is righteous and though He is just, He also has made those who believe in Him 
his friends. He's broken down all the walls, all the barriers, all the judgment is gone for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus took the judgment and the punishment of God. We aren't responsible for it anymore. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Some of us don't get that. I'll be honest with you. I struggle with that because I realize my sin is so outrageous, so egregious, that God is certainly just. If He wanted to wipe me like Sodom and Gomorrah from the face of the earth, but Jesus took it. He took it. And it's done. It's once and for all. I don't have to crucify myself anymore. I'm not the one that has to hang on the cross. Why? Not because I don't deserve to hang there, but because Jesus paid the price once and for all, and it's done. I don't have to hang there at all. And if I put myself on the cross to punish myself for my sins, guess what I'm doing? I'm watering down the gospel of Jesus Christ because He says it's a free gift, one I couldn't earn, one I could never deserve, one I couldn't die for because I'm imperfect. Jesus paid it. I am now the friend of God. It is God's grace is coming down to me, coming down to Abraham in chapter 12. God visits him and says, here you are. I'm calling you out of this land. I want you to be in relationship with me. And from that point on, from the moment that God's grace intersected with Abraham's faith, he is called God's friend. And the disciples, when they begin to follow Jesus, receiving his grace, they're called his friends. Is the judgment on sin still there? Absolutely. But I'm no longer a part of it because I am found in Christ. Wow, that seems like such a simple thing, but so hard to understand sometimes. Friend of God, Abraham was called. (laughs) That's one of the blessings, one of the benefits of coming to the Lord in faith, receiving His grace by that alone. I'm His friend. Look in verse 17, and let's look a little bit about what this friendship means. Then the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? You realize the friend of God, as someone in close relationship with him, you get to understand the mind and the will of God. Now, some folks have twisted this, to be honest with you. You see them on TV from time to time. You hear about them. They twist it and they say, I've got a prophetic word from God. And let me tell you, next Tuesday afternoon, around 11.30-ish, Eastern or Central Time, I'm not sure, but around that time, such and such is going to happen. And you just watch. I've gotten a prophetic word from God. I understand the mind and the will of God. Next Tuesday afternoon rolls around. 11.30 Central Time passes. Nothing happens. Wait a minute. 11.30 Eastern Time's already passed. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's the following Tuesday. Maybe I misread my Tuesdays from the Lord. I'm not talking here about getting prophetic words from God. When he says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, he's responding to the fact that he and Abraham are friends. That he wants Abraham to understand him. He wants Abraham to know God. He he wants to share his mind and his insights with Abraham. He was God's friend. He's given the blessing of, of knowing what God was up to. In John 15, I had to write down that reference. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends because... Everything has been revealed to you. You understand what's going on now. Part of the friendship we have with God is getting to understand who He is and what He's up to. Those who have received God's grace by faith, declared to be His friend, I really believe one of the great benefits is that you gain access to the mind and the heart of God, unlike any other who does not come to God in that way. 
Again, it's not prophetic. You shouldn't uh, assume that, that if you know God in a close way that you're going to be able to predict the future. That's not the point. But the truth is that you'll receive practical knowledge. You'll receive wisdom. You'll receive God's discernment, His views on life, His views on culture, His views on sin. You'll get God's wisdom for the issues that you face. You'll understand people and why they do what they do. Why? Because you'll know God's Word. You'll have received from Him His mind. You realize that Abraham had no Scripture. I mentioned this last week. We think it would be so much easier if we were just Abraham and God showed up to us and started talking. And yet, we have. Whitney just got a 40-pound version of God's Word. <laughs> and most of us this morning are carrying around some version, maybe not 40 pounds, but somewhere in between there. We have all of it. We have all God wants us to know about Him right here. Every single bit of it. The final revelation in Jesus Christ sums it all up. We have what God wants us to know. We have access as friends of God, as those in relationship to Him, to understand the mind and the will of God. Why? Because we have His Word. It's not us talking about some prophetic word, as I mentioned. This is not about getting a special word from God, but it's about understanding the word that He's already given. We don't need a new word from God. Jesus was the final word from God. That's all we need. With God in human flesh, here He is. Here's my final word. The word became flesh, John chapter 1 says, and dwelt among us. Here He is. All of it. When we're the friends of God, by His grace, through our faith, He reveals Himself to us. Through His Word, He helps us understand. Some of us this morning have tried our entire lives to understand God. And we've tried lots of different things. We've tried to be perfect. We've tried to not be perfect. We've tried whatever it may be. Maybe in your past you tried some mind-altering kind of stuff. You're going to get in touch with God. The great news is this. You don't have to try to get in touch with God. He's already gotten in touch with you. And He has passed along His Word to you through the Scripture so that you may be His friend, understanding His mind and His will. What a tremendous benefit. You think about it. Friends of yours, you understand them. You know what they're thinking. You're probably able to complete some of their sentences. God's designed a relationship with Him to be just the same. For you to understand His mind, understand His will. Not only that, but to be a, a conduit of His blessing. Verse 18, look at it. Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Abraham and his descendants, they were to function as salt and light in the world. What were they going to do? They were going to preserve righteousness. We see that. Abraham praying for those who were preserving righteousness. And they were to be light in the world, to draw people to God. What does Jesus say about our function as well? We are to be, in Matthew chapter 5, salt and light. It has changed. God's plan for the world has not changed. His plan has always been to use the people He's called to be salt and light to reach other people. That's just the way that He works. And so we get to be, because we're the friends of God, we get to be, the blessing for us is to be a conduit of His blessing. So yes, there are times when we'll be salt, pointing out the sin in the world, preserving righteousness. Yes, there are times we get to be light, used by God to reach other people. There is no greater joy in your life that you can ever experience than to see someone come to Jesus Christ in faith and you be used to help that happen. Do we make it happen? Certainly not. But does God choose to use people as His tools for evangelism? Absolutely. There is nothing greater. You want to experience the greatest mountaintop in your entire life, begin to share your faith with somebody about Jesus. Tell them of what Jesus has done for you and, and, and pray that God would, would bring them into salvation and you'll see if that happens, the greatest joy you could ever experience. 
The benefit of being God's friend and God's child wasn't to stop with Abraham. And it isn't to stop with us either. We are not consumers in God's economy. We are not the customers. And God delivers the product and we consume it and then we come back for more the next time we need it. We are conduits of God's blessing. Do we receive it? Absolutely. But does it pass from and through us to someone else to get better? Because that's the way God has designed it. We are to have an effect on those we, we encounter. At work, if you're a Christian person in your workplace, is it any better? Is there blessing on that workplace because you work there? Well, the Bible says one of the blessings you can receive is to be a blessing to that place. On a team at school, do those folks benefit from Jesus inside of you? Are you a conduit of His blessing? Does it flow through you? What about at Walmart when you're standing in line? What about when you go out to eat? What about the daily things that you do? Realize you have the opportunity to receive God's blessing by being a blessing to someone else. Not only that, but we get to be God's spokespeople. Look at verse 19. I have chosen Him so that He will command His children and His house after Him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. To command. You realize it involves words and speech. We get to be God's spokespeople. Abraham was to pass along the truth of and the Word of God to those who followed him. Now, it's, it's amazing because I think we often miss it, but it's impossible to miss this principle in Scripture. That parents are to pass along the words and will of God to their children. Parents are. And as a, a, an implication of that, we as, as the church are to take that responsibility as well for the young people in our lives. I realize many of you are involved in, in children's ministry here at, at Elm Grove, and I, I thank God for you. That, let me tell you this, I, I'm an adult, okay? I love adults, but working with young people is something special because they soak it up and they want to learn. You see all those kids down here this morning? They love it. There's, I mean, you talk about, you want to be involved in an exciting part of ministry? You get involved with children. You get involved with teenagers. Are they a headache sometimes? Absolutely. But were we a headache when we were that age? Absolutely. We weren't born grown up. Let's remember that. All right? Some of us were, I guess. But we weren't born grown up. Man, what an exciting thing to be involved in that. You know, I, I see some of you just light up when you're around kids. I just, I stand back and think, man, that's incredible. But isn't there something special about being God's spokesperson for somebody who needs you, for the young person in your life, a, a child, a grandchild, a friend, a relative, whomever it is, well, there's something about that. It's God ordained. <laughs> That's what's something about it. God puts His stamp of approval on that every time that happens. God didn't intend, obviously, for His Word to stop with Abraham nor with us. One of the blessings of being the friend of God is that we get to be the spokesperson for God to other people. And so if you don't have involvement right now with young people, with children, well, I encourage you. And I'll tell you this, you're missing out. You're missing out on a tremendous blessing. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. And do what you can to be involved in the lives of your children and grandchildren and the young people in this church and so on. I promise you'll never regret it. Never. God blesses it. So as a friend of God, we understand His mind. We understand His will. We get to be a conduit of His blessing. We become His spokespeople. And, and then Abraham shows us we get freedom to approach God in prayer. In verses 23 and following, you have this interesting exchange. 
Some folks would say, well, you know, Abraham's just kind of being rude to God. He, he's bargaining with God here. We don't bargain with God. Hold on just a second. Really, the, the, the language here that's used is more sort of like a, a, an exploratory mission than it is a negotiating session. Abraham is in no position to negotiate with God. Why? Because he's human. We are in no position to tell God what he should or should not do. None of us are. Some of us try, and we realize that was really stupid. Uh, you know, God is God, and I'm not. But Abraham is exploring the heart of God. How does he do that? He explores it through prayer. His prayer is amazing. I mean, there, there's so many things. I really hope you do. I mean, we, we cannot cover in a short period of time uh, here, here on a Sunday morning, we can't cover all the great truths that's found in this particular story. I hope you study this book. I really do. But, but Abraham was given the freedom because he had received God's grace, because he had responded in faith and been made the friend of God, given freedom to approach God in prayer. And he discusses these things with God. He learns from God by asking him questions. Well, hey, God, um, listen, I know what you've got in mind because you just told me. But, hey, what, if there, what about if there are just 50? Just, I mean, it's a big town, but just 50 people there. Would you still do it then? I mean, God, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem right that you would just destroy all the righteous people along with all the wicked people. I mean, I can see if you're going to destroy all the wicked people because they're unrepentant and they've had opportunity and whatever and so on. But God, what about 50? Yeah, hey, you know what? I, that's my heart. Listen, I, I want those righteous people to, to be protected or whatever. All right, well, God, what about 45? You know, I mean, where, where's the line? Do you, do you see Abraham sort of exploring a little bit? We see it as, well, God, um, you know, you said 50. Uh, would you take 45? Well, 48, would you take 40? You know, it's like a yard sale. This isn't a yard sale between Abraham and God over the souls of the people inside of Gomorrah. That's not what we're talking about. He's exploring his heart. And he has freedom to do that. Why? Because of the verses prior. Because of chapter 12, when God demonstrated his grace to Abraham. And it's the same in our lives. God has demonstrated his grace to us in Jesus Christ forever paying the penalty for our sin, offering us forgiveness. And when we receive that forgiveness and grace as a free gift, placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we, just like Abraham, are declared to be the friends of God and given freedom to approach Him in prayer. We're given freedom to be honest with Him. I love the prayers of people who are just honest with God. What does that mean? I really don't know, but I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean making up a lot of fancy words that you think are going to unlock God somehow or impress the people that are sitting around you in Sunday school or church or wherever you may be, at the meal table or wherever. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. If you are God's friend, imagine if you talk to your friends the way you talk to God. Now, am I saying we should be disrespectful to God? No. Would you be disrespectful to those friends? Certainly not. But imagine if we talk to our friends the way that we talk to God. Would they laugh? Would they listen? Would they appreciate our humility? Would they receive what we're having to say? Boy, I sure hope they would. God has given us freedom to be honest with Him. Abraham says, Lord, surely you wouldn't do that. God, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me that this would happen. You ever had something in your life that you flat didn't understand? Who else can you talk to but God? And who else can you be honest with but Him? And yet some of us will hide those things. Oh, I don't, better not mention that to God that I'm a little angry about this situation. Why? Well, he might kill me. Really? Do you know Jesus Christ? Yeah. What's the risk then in being honest with God? Well, he might kill me. Really? 
Have you known that to happen to somebody before? Have you, have you seen that? But I haven't seen it. And yet, isn't that in our mind, the games that we play? Abraham gets the freedom to be honest with God. We can approach Him freely because we are His friends. Yes, with humility we do it, but also, thank God, with freedom and with confidence that He wants us in His presence. He sent Jesus so that we could be distant from Him. Not at all. He sent Jesus to bridge the gap so we could be made close to Him, reconciled to God, the Bible says, and put in right relationship with Him. So why don't we pray like that? Well, we believe a lot of lies. Well, I don't really know what to say. Well, I've got too much sin in my life. Certainly God wouldn't, he wouldn't listen to me. I'm just not worthy. Not worthy to talk to God. It's just been way too long. Are all those things true? You better believe they are. Every single one of those things. You know what? I don't know what to say in prayer. I really, really don't. I, I just I make it up as I go. I mean, I really do. I just I, One of the things I, that God has convicted me of is don't plan all your prayers all the time. When you stand up before the church, don't have some plan in your mind that you're going to pray that somehow is going to make everybody happy. Just, just talk to God. Well, I tell you, I, I don't know the words to say. Is there too much sin in my life? You better believe there is, because one ounce of sin is too much sin in my life. Should God look at me because of my sin? No, He shouldn't. Should He punish me because of my sin? In my own mind, yes, I, He should. But Jesus has trumped all that stuff. Is there too much sin in my life? Not because of Jesus. He's forgiven it all. When God looks at me, He sees Jesus Christ. Praise Him for that. <laughs> Has it been way too long since you prayed? Are you feeling not worthy? Those things are probably true as well. You're not worthy to talk to God. Neither am I. That's why He sent Jesus. To declare us worthy. He, he didn't forget who we are. <laughs> he just trumped it all. He put Jesus in our place. Abraham was no different than us. He was a sinner. The sinner had received the grace of God. He was not worthy. And he didn't have magical words to say, but he, he simply approached God in freedom as his friend, as his child. The blessing of God for those who receive him by, by faith and truly being his friend. And then finally, in closing, the blessing also includes being an intercessor for others. We get to be his friend. And we also get to be an intercessor. An intercessor is someone who, like Abraham, stands on behalf of other people and prays to God for them. Does that mean I'm responsible for them? No. Does that mean I'm responsible for what they do? Certainly not. Does it mean I can change them? No, I wish that were true. But Abraham got to be an intercessor. He was compelled by the love of God and by the need of the world. Realize that Abraham, before he was 75 years old, had lived a life in pagan worship apart from God. And when he meets the grace of God there in chapter 12 in Genesis, he's forever changed. And I wonder if he looks out over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and sees the sin that he once committed. And sees those folks as people in need of the grace of God just like he was. And sees them as distant from God because they've not placed their faith in him. Maybe, just maybe, he had compassion on them. Maybe he was compelled by the love of God and the need in the world to receive Jesus Christ. Maybe he realized, you know what, I've been changed. I didn't deserve it. God was gracious to me. Maybe I should extend some grace to them as well. And so he prays there for the righteous. He prays for their protection. He prays for their deliverance. 
But included by implication in his prayer is the prayer for the unrighteous. God, would you sweep the entire place away? Is there righteous people there? What's God's response? I'll spare the whole city. So by implication, yes, he's praying primarily for the righteous, but by implication, he's including the unrighteous. Those who need the grace of God. He prays also in humility. In verse 27, verse 30, verse 32, he calls himself dust and ashes. He says, Lord, I know I'm being pretty bold here. I want you to know I understand who I am and who you are. So God, if you don't want me to pray this prayer, you just let me know and I'll stop. And then he goes on and he prays with humility but with boldness. He understood God was in charge. He prayed with persistence. He started at 50, then he went to 45, then 40, 30, 20, 10, so on. What application can you take from Abraham's prayer? Well, I think it's pretty simple. We are to be intercessors for other people. I know we're real good at praying for things for ourselves. I tell you, if I were to have a transcript of all my prayers, I'd be embarrassed at how often I pray for myself and how little I pray for other people. If you're like me, you'd probably be the same way. We are to be intercessors for others, just like Abraham. Just like Jesus, he prayed in John chapter 17 for his disciples, and he prayed for us. It's a great passage of Scripture. I'd love for you to study. It would be awesome. Incredible implications for you in John 17. We're to pray for the righteous. We're to pray for their protection. Pray for their boldness. Paul said that. Pray that Peter, uh, Peter and, and John pray, pray that we may be bold. Pray for their faithfulness. We're to pray for the unrighteous. What kind of prayer do you pray for them? Pray for their salvation. You realize that you can pray for your co-workers and your family members to be better people and they'll still go to hell? Why? Because they need Jesus Christ. They don't need to be better people. Being a better person here on earth may make you a lot of friends, but it does you no good in eternity because there is but one way. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a great way because it's a free gift. I, I, I can't be good enough. I don't have to earn it. Praise God, He did it all for me. The work of God to provide me salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. I don't have to do anything. It's a free gift. I receive it. Pray that for your unsaved, your unrighteous friends and family members. That's what they need. They don't need to get off your back about something. They need Jesus in their life. That's what they need. So we're to pray for the unrighteous. We're also to pray, obviously, in humility. God's in charge. He's infinitely more wise than us. So we pray with humility. We're also to pray with, with persistence. Jesus told the parable of the man who gets up in the middle of the night and knocks on his neighbor's door and won't stop knocking until the guy comes to the door. And he draws the, the conclusion, look, if this guy will get out of bed, he doesn't care anything about you, how much more will God respond to you in prayer because he loves you? And then in Matthew chapter 7, he says, knock, ask, and seek. And, it's, and the implication is keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. Paul says over, over uh, in one of his letters, he says, pray what? Continually, without ceasing. What does that mean? Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. It's an incredible Greek word that means just keep on doing it. You know, that's what it means. There's no secret to it. Just keep going. Keep being persistent. Why does all this matter? I said from the beginning, I really believe, myself included, many of us fail to recognize and to live in the blessings that come from being in a relationship of, with God based on grace and faith. I really, really believe that we often overlook the benefits that He does. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about those guys you see on TV that say, if you just have more faith, you'd have more money. 
Jesus had perfect faith. And you know what? He didn't have a place, he said, to lay his head. And we think just because we have more faith, we'll get more stuff. The wise man. It's not the gospel. The gospel is, we've been given grace. The gospel is, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. The gospel is, I really believe we are intrinsic in place of faith in him. We forfeit, I believe, a lot of what comes from being a friend of God. We forfeit that blessing. We fail often to see blessing comes to us and to others by being an intercessor for other people, by praying for them. I think we leave quite a bit on the table. I think God just shoves it all at us. He says, here's the blessing. Here's who I am. Here I am. Receive me. And we say, eh, I'm not sure. Why? I really believe we leave a lot on the table. So what do we do now? Receive God's grace through faith. That's what you do. Receive His grace. Receive it maybe this morning for salvation. Maybe for the very first time, God has broken through your dark heart. And He's shown the light of Jesus Christ and He's revealed to you your need for Him. Respond to Him in grace. How? Just receive it. Say, yes, that's what I want. Lord Jesus, I give everything to You because You've given everything and more to me. I receive it. Respond to Him in grace through faith. And, and then after that, enjoy His blessings. Enjoy being the friend of God. Getting access to His mind and His heart. Enjoy being an intercessor for others. That's all I've got. Receive the grace of God. Receive His blessings. Live in God's blessings. A friend of God. Be an intercessor for other people because they need the grace of God. That's all I got. I don't have anything else. Let me tell you, that's more than enough. Won't you pray with me this morning? Where you sit this morning, receive the grace of God. It's a free gift. It's a free gift that, that never truly exhaust itself. If you're a person who has received God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared to be His friend, no longer His enemy. Stop nailing yourself to the cross. Jesus already did it. And He did it once and for all, and He was perfect, and He's the only one that works. So allow Him to be the payment for your sins. And receive His grace. Live as His friend. Yes, with respect. Yes, with humility. Yes, with righteousness. But yes, with grace. Live as an intercessor for other people. What a tremendous blessing you could be. How is it that God wants you to respond this morning? Perhaps it's to come and pray. We'll have folks who'll be ready to pray for you and with you if you'd like, if you make your way down front in a moment. Or maybe you'd You'd say, you know what, I, I know there's a particular area in my life I just need to be obedient to God. I'm going to commit to do that. Lord, I just, I want to live in grace. I want to be a person who receives the blessing of being your friend and being an intercessor for others. Perhaps this morning you're a person who'd like to join our church. Love to explain to you what that means. Partner with us to, to build a ministry here based on God's grace, based on faith in Him. Lord Jesus, thank you. 
but you paid it all. There's not a single thing left that we can or have to pay that you paid it all. Thank you for your grace. May we receive it this morning through faith, living then as your friends and as intercessors for others. Thank you that your grace, Lord, is sufficient to fix our sin problem, to give us eternal life. It's sufficient to heal our marriage. It is sufficient to bring us out of depression. It is sufficient for every single issue that we face. We praise you in Jesus' name.